0: Several years ago, uh, my wife Mandy and I were uh, coming back from a pretty substantial drive, and we were about uh, two hours away, and there was smoke coming out from underneath the hood. I'm not a car guy, but that kind of struck me as that probably shouldn't be happening. I don't see smoke coming out normally. So I pulled over and I uh, go to the gas station and I do what all of us guys who know absolutely nothing about cars do. I pop the hood and I just looked at it. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm looking at, but there it is and there was stuff, you know, on the ground and there was a leak and it was bad. And then I uh, flash back to when I was a high school student, I had this old station wagon. That's another story, by the way. And uh, I had beaten it up so bad that every time I wanted to go ride, I had to fill it up with water, you know, because there was problems. So I thought, hey, this is just one of those deals, right? I'll just get a bucket of water, and we'll stop whenever I need to, and we'll just cool this in And While I'm pondering all of these things, this guy, he comes up, stands right, right next to me, and I'm looking at him, and so he goes, oh, you're having some problems. I, I said, well, yeah, the smoke's coming out, you know, <laughs> like I knew what was going on. <laughs> That's what you do when you don't know what's going on. You just kind of, So anyway, he, he says, uh, well, let me take a look. He looks in there, and, I, and then I told him, you know, hey, I'm going to just get a water, and we'll just fill it up as we go, get home, get it fixed, da 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 He says, no, don't do that. Your water pump's froze. That baby ain't going anywhere. You may choke it down the road a half a mile, but then you're gonna be stranded. No, what you need to do is you gotta get somebody on the phone, see if they'll be willing to work over the weekend, because it was a weekend, if they get that fixed, you, you, you get a hotel, and then you, know, you, you get that water pump replaced and go on. And, and I'm sitting there going, first of all, who is this guy? <laughs> and second of all, maybe you car guys understand this. I, 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 how in the world does he know my water pump's frozen? he didn't have anything either, you know but somehow he did and i was like well you know all right and mandy's coming out of the gas station and i start talking to her she's walking this way and i said hey uh guy here thinks that probably a water pump Da and she goes well what guy i said well it, he was standing right here this guy this guy that was standing right there it was gone and uh, I told her the rest of the story, and we chose to find somebody who was nice enough to work on the weekend. And guess what? Our water pump was frozen and needed to be replaced. And guess what? He just happened to have one of in his shop to replace for us so that we could get back on the road before the next work week. Isn't that something? Now, you know, see an angel, I don't know, I don't know, maybe, that'd be kind of cool, really. I I wasn't scared, most of the time people are like, wow, that was really good, I don't know, but he certainly was a God sent one to us, with me, and that it's so important as we're, you know, you know, uh, moving through the activities, the frustrations, the highs and the lows of life that we are paying attention, that we don't miss the invisible hand of God at work all around us. And the story of Esther invites us to just, you know, go to the high high platform and just just jump in to the providence and the wonder and the sovereignty of God and just say, Lord, I trust you. Wow, we left off in our story, Uh, it's uh, verse 4 of chapter 2 last week, and at this point in time, King Xerxes, one of some of his guys gave him this great idea as to how to replace the queen. You know, you get all these young, beautiful virgins, and then you, you know, yeah, and then you decide which one is going to be your queen. That's how that rolled. And so he was gathering all of these, these uh, uh, beautiful women in this process of maybe we might call the uh, Miss Persia contest. I don't know. Begins in verse 5. And again, we're paying attention to this incredible reality of the, the movement of God in silence. As the moon moves the tides of the ocean in silence. God moves the events of humanity in silence. He's working to accomplish his purposes, his plans, to fulfill his promises, and to protect his people. He's never going to walk away from that. At the time, there was a Jewish man. Now we're introduced to our protagonist in the story for the very first time. Here comes the first one. A Jewish man in the fortress of Susa, whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. His family had been among those who, with King Jehoiachin of Judah, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar, and this would have been over seventy some odd years earlier. Um, he and Esther were born in Persia after their families had been taken by Nebuchadnezzar out of Jerusalem and brought to Persia. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. Hadassah meaning Myrtle, Esther, uh in the persian language star and yet there is a lot of conversation about the meaning of her name some suggesting with a pretty strong argument that it actually means hidden which is fascinating as the story unfolds when her father and mother died mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter as a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought, brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids specially chosen from the king's palace and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. Every day Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments. Six months with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. I will never complain again about my wife's 15 minutes late as she finishes getting ready. (laughs) When it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from the harem that evening, she was taken to the king's private rooms, and the next morning, she was brought to the second harem where the king's wives lived. There, she would be under the care of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch, in charge of the concubines. She would never go to the king again unless he had especially enjoyed her and requested her by name. Esther was the daughter of Abihail, who was Mordecai's uncle. Mordecai had adopted his younger cousin, Esther. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion... He gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. Even after all the young women had been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai had become a palace official, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following Mordecai's directions just as she did when she lived in his home. One day, as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Thana and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai the credit for the report. And when an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. And this was all recorded in the book <laughs> of the history of King Xerxes' reign. Moving pretty quick quick, this story at this point in time. No, No sooner are we introduced to Mordecai and Esther and the next thing we know, boom, and then she was queen and he was at uh, he was employed then uh, he was at the palace himself under some kind of official responsibility and she wore the crown as the queen of the medo persian empire keeping to herself keeping hidden her identity as a jewish woman In verse 7 We find this about Esther. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin. We find that this eunuch was impressed with her, treated her kindly. We find later on uh, that um, wherever she went she was admired by everyone. There was something very magnetic about Esther. She was, uh, in our vernacular, drop dead gorgeous. Whatever "gorgeous," "beautiful," "physically attractive" meant in fourth, fifth century B.C. Persia, she was the very definition of it. She was beautiful beyond description, but her beauty went beyond. Her appearance, her beauty also captured a loveliness of heart, a loveliness of, of personality, a loveliness of character that was absolutely magnetic to anybody who would encounter her. So unique and so special. She is the full package, inside and out. Now I'm blessed to be married to a woman like this, beautiful inside and out. And uh, my daughter reminded me of this in an unguarded moment, saying, Dad, when you first met Mom, were you like, whoa, you are, I am so out of my league. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, it's the family secret. We don't talk about that. Yes, I get it, I know. Absolutely. Esther was beautiful in form and in character. Well, Who? what made how did she get so beautiful? The question begs to be asked. And sometimes the most obvious questions are the ones we don't ask. And yet, they they bring us to very important conversations like this one. Why and how was she so beautiful? She was made that way. God made her, designed her beautiful, gorgeous in whatever that definition of their day and time was. And, and there is an important thing for us to, to, to grab a hold of in our world. We need to understand that we are made by God and for God and for His purposes. We're made by him and for him. Paul repeats this as he's talking about Jesus in Colossians 1 that, that you, were, you were created by him and for him. David, in, in, in a great and wonderful detailed conversation about this very truth in 139, he lays it out very poetically, but very clearly. Speaking to God, David writes You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. Listen, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Someone asked me this morning, how many grandchildren do you you have? I said, I have three. Two I can pick up and throw around and wrestle with. And one I just have to lean over into her, her mom's tummy. Hey, grandpa's here. Three grandchildren. She's being knit together in her mother's womb. Thank you, David writes, for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous and how well I know it. How many of us here have looked in the mirror and said, marvelous. If you did, you would be accurate because that's how God makes us. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. We are made by God and for God for the purposes that God has in our lives. It's a great movie from the 80s. Yes, I'm an 80s guy, sorry. Chariots of Fire, I hope you get to watch it. I would highly recommend it. story of a Scottish missionary named Eric Liddell in the 1920s. But he wasn't just a missionary, he was also a track star. His parents were missionaries in China where he was born, and he came to England for his education and discovered... While there, that he was really, really fast, could run like the wind. And he began to enter into racing competitions, and, and he was winning, and he became very much a hero to the Scottish people. And in all the, the interviews and all the times they would ever talk to him, guess who it was he would talk about? Jesus. Jesus came for the 1924 Olympics. He qualified, he was going to run his, his primary event. They get to the Olympics, they find out his event is, not, is scheduled on a Sunday. He tells the, the British Olympic Committee, I will not run on Sunday. And it caused the stir. And in all that stir, he, re- he remained faithful to his convictions and faithful to Jesus in testimony. He was assigned another race later on, not his strongest race, and yet, and still, he ended up winning the gold medal, and in another event, the bronze medal. What's the point? Well, the conversation with his sister in the movie, also in some of the books he wrote, she was very passionate about his calling to missions his calling to be uh uh to take the mantle of the missions that they that his parents had started and that he was a missionary and that's what he'd been training for and preparing for and what are you doing wasting all your time with all this running and he just smiled at her he says oh yes god has prepared me called me designed me built me to be a missionary and he did return to China and serve Jesus there until his death. But in that moment, he looked at her, and he says, yes, God's prepared me for that. And then he smiled at her, and he says, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Entering into the wonder of who all God has made you to be. Now, I am neither beautiful, lovely, or fast, (laughs) but who I am and what I am by God's grace, we surrender back to him for his purposes and his plans, that for which he designed for me and that which he's designed for you do you believe this do you believe God you were made by God and for God do you believe what David said here you knit me together in my mother's womb do you believe that that God's workmanship is marvelous he's prepared you and he has equipped you in ways that are unique to who you are, the experiences that you have, the relationship that you are in, the places he calls you, all those things are moving for God to put forward his great purpose and power in your life just as he designed you to be. Are you experiencing that? Living as Eric Liddell described it, under the pleasure of God Mm, 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 mm. one of the things that he talked about obviously was this devotion to the Lord and what it needed to be and that it's only there that we experience the fullness of the purpose for which God has and he he ended up getting a brain tumor and he was on his deathbed and lots of conversations with him in those moments and I said, well, what is it? How is it that we enter into this great, you know, know, experience with God? And and he began to answer. He says, it's all about surrender. And his eyes closed, and he fell back on his pillow, and he went home to Jesus and the word on his tongue was surrender. It's all about surrendering all that you are and all that you have been created to be to the one who created you, so that through you, he will move mountains. Through you, he will bring others home. Through you, people will be loved and cared for and ministered to. Through you, a bright light will shine for the kingdom of God. Don't fight who he's made you to be. Don't belittle all the things in your life. He'll use those for his glory. Just like he used them in Esther's life, in Eric Liddell's life. He wants to use those in yours. Verse 10, verse 20, we find out something. Uh, Esther had been told by uh, her adopted, her her, father, her cousin who adopted her. Hey, don't tell anybody who you are. Keep it hidden. Don't let them know you're Jewish. Verse 10, verse 20, don't let them know. Don't tell them. And the scripture does not tell us why he said that to her. And it does not tell us whether that was Something that was good, bad, right, wrong doesn't say. It just says, here's the facts. He told her, keep your identity as a Jew hidden. Lots of conversation in the commentaries about that point and observation, of course. Um, The the one that kind of bubbles up the most often is this reality of Mordecai, Mordecai trying to navigate the situation in which they were. Mordecai was not Persian, neither was Esther. They were Jewish. They were not from that country. They were foreigners. The Jewish people uh, uh, were not uh, uh, a huge population in the Persian Empire. They were a minority. And not only were they foreigners and a minority, But they were also, they were also disliked. They were also targets of anti-Semitism. He knew this. And people in understanding kind of this situation, you know, they talk about that most likely, but we don't know, that Mordecai didn't want her to reveal her identity in order to not Uh, uh, potentially sabotage the opportunity for her to ascend to the queen of the empire. Shh, don't tell anybody who you are. Why is this important as we uh, uh, consider the call if we are claiming to be a Jesus follower today in our world, in our culture? We have to understand something. We must learn how to affirm our identity in a foreign environment. As a believer in Jesus Christ, if I am a a committed follower of Christ and the word of God is my measure, it is my standard of how things work and I embrace that and that's how I live my life, guess what? You are a minority. If I embrace, embrace the reality and the power of, of who God is and Jesus is my savior, the scripture says my citizenship changes. I am now, as Paul would say, a citizen of heaven. I am now an ambassador to a foreign land. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, committed to following the word of God, you're in the minority and you are a foreigner. And as a committed follower of Christ, putting into practice the word of God and living in such a way, I find that the enemy from the very beginning in Genesis, we spoke about this a couple weeks ago, is committed to hurting and harming the people of God. They stir others to hate them. All around the world, millions of Christians are living under persecution. Homes ransacked, families torn apart, people thrown in dungeons never to be heard of again. All over the world. Anti-Christian is the kind of the cool thing now as a believer in Christ I have to understand and I have to seek God out as to how I'm going to navigate being an effective ambassador in a world where I am of a few where I am a foreigner the values, morals, everything in this old world, that's not mine I don't do my life that way and that people don't like me because I'm connected to Jesus. Do we believe what Jesus said or not? What did he say to his disciples, to those who are following him? They, who is they, this world, hated me. They will hate you. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Oh, ours, ours is to come to this place uh, where we recognize, again, that the words of Jesus are true, that there's just a few, Matthew 7, 14, there is a narrow way that leads to life and very few are those who find it. There is a broad way that leads to destruction and many are on it. And our responsibility as an effective ambassador is to be a roadblock on the wide road and encourage people by love and good deeds and by surrender to, to God to be that person who helps them identify the narrow way who is a person and his name is Jesus. This is the world we live in. If you wonder about this, I encourage you to ask some of our amazing teachers that are represented in our church family, ask them about the reality of the homes and situations of the kids. Um, ask Ask your child who may be an intermediate or middle school or high school, let them describe to you the prevailing attitudes and practices of all the kids around them. And they will come to you one day and say, Mom, Dad, I, I don't get this. I don't, I don't think like everybody else does. I don't want to do what everybody else is doing. Ask them, they'll tell you. They'll tell you. Are they prepared? Are they ready to stand as a foreigner as a minority, as one who is not liked by the culture in which they live. I have to move on. I would add this. In that reality, don't panic. We've not been given a spirit of fear, but a a spirit of love and sound mind and power. Let the story of Esther encourage you as you come to experience more and more this reality, mm, as the moon moves the tides of the ocean in silence, so God moves the tides of human events in silence. He always preserves a remnant. He is always at work. He's always at work, accomplishing his purposes and his plans establishing and fulfilling his promises he will never abandon his people be encouraged let her story encourage you and I end with this last verse of the chapter Mordecai he exposes a murder plot King finds out it's true Guys get put on a pole. It's kind of a nasty thing. But you don't want to plot to kill the king either. It's not really a good idea. So, Mordecai then was heralded by the king, and there was great excitement and thrill. No, it was just written down in a book. We're like, hey, what's the deal? King? This man just saved your life. That's it. He's going to write it down in a book. Big deal. I mean, give him a little love, a little something-something for the effort, right? Not a thing. Nothing. And we say, unfair. Unfair. I don't know about you, but I catch myself in that place. Unfair we're reminded here in his example to be very careful how we respond to that which we perceive as unfair be very careful i've been looking around does anybody have that book of what's fair and unfair i've been trying to find that somewhere can i check that out at the library or do we still have libraries i don't know but anyway you know yeah, i don't know where it is well that's unfair well how do i know that's unfair is it fair is it unfair i don't know but if something is even legitimately objectively unfair in nature the response of mordecai is a great one to follow he was humble he didn't need to toot his own horn so to speak he resisted bitterness he kept working for the king keeping an eye on his adopted daughter he kept trusting and he kept watching those of you who have faithfully been reading ahead you know that this will not be the last time we hear about this which was written in the book he waited why because the moon moves the tides of the ocean in silence god moves human events in silence and we see his invisible hand his providence at work accomplishing his purposes let's pray father thank you so much for the incredible wonder of your word and the, um, the, the reality that you tell us you have preserved all of this so that we would be of good courage and that we would hope. Oh, how we need the story of Esther today in our lives to embrace the incredible priceless value and purpose of our own lives and the lives of others. Preborn and born, and God, that we would, we would uh, 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 grab a hold of that great purpose that you have for us and how you made us, and and Lord, that um, the reality of our our being in a strange land, that we not have as our priority in life to try to make ourselves comfortable here but God that we would live, we would navigate the reality of who we are in Christ to a world that is in direct opposition to him and we cannot do that without your help God that we would embrace the circumstances of life and turn and surrender them to you and wait, and trust, and watch. In Jesus' name.